Welcome to the Mostly Legal Podcast, a show where we expose the good, the bad, and the hilarity behind the scenes of law firm management. I'm Amanda Copeless, the executive director of a mid-sized law firm based in Central Florida. I was so excited to convince Julie Logan and Karen Griggs to join us for this episode. Between the two of them, they have many years of experience in law firm management, and they are going to share a few nuggets of wisdom with us all today. And I'm Rob Joyner, Chief Revenue Officer at Centerbase. Like Amanda, I'm always excited to learn more from experienced law firm administrators, even when they're talking about technology that's older than I am. Before we get started, we want to thank our podcast sponsor, Centerbase, software built to power the growth of mid-sized law firms. Let's dive in. Julie and Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. Since we have two guests, we're going to go and let the two of you introduce each other. So Karen, why don't you start it off and introduce Julie for us? It's my pleasure, and thanks for inviting us to do this. Uh, so I've known Julie just over 20 years. We met at ALA's uh, first Community Challenge Weekend event, and our chapter president at the time grouped us up to uh, manage this and put on the first ever uh, Community Challenge Weekend, and Julie had this great idea to uh, sponsor a national punt pass and kick contest. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know, we're not, you know, reading to kids or going to a, a I started to say funeral home, old folks home. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. So, so it was this really elaborate event because we had to not only come up with the community challenge event and, and the chapter and the engagement for all of that and the planning and the football field and the kids. So it really was elaborate. And that's when I first met Julie, like I said, but I was so impressed with her ability to plan and then execute it. Because we had a big plan, but uh-huh. executing was going to be super challenging. And that was pretty much on her. And, and it was just amazing. And I just do have to add that um, our chapter won the first place award for that in oh. the good old days. I call it the good old days, but the good old days where we raced around to get our awards at <laughs> oh the awards gosh, ceremony. Chaos. Yeah, Total exactly. Chaos. When getting to the awards event was like, um, you know, where they call it Black Friday at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> I have personally taken off my shoes and run across a very large gala ballroom just to get a table up front. Yeah. I guess somebody got trampled at some point or something. Ridiculous reason to end. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, I just had to throw that in there because we were we were pretty excited about it. But like I said, that's when I met Julie, and then for these next twenty years, um, you know, I just learned how adaptable she is. Uh, she's been different jobs, different places to live in different states, different cities. She's been in different chapters, and that's so cool to me um, because she takes a leadership role in every one she's in. Uh, she's super resilient. She just can overcome a setback. And she's so reliable. Not only will she do whatever she's supposed to do, but if she senses that somebody else isn't going to do what they're supposed to, she'll make sure that gets done too. I mean, there's just no way. Amanda, you need her on your team. I do need her on my team. There you go. I mean, or maybe just no to give me some career coaching. <laughs> yes. She could do that too. Um, anyway, so that's, you know, that's Julie. She's, she's a risk taker, and I'm typically not, but she's a risk taker without being reckless about it. So that's Julie. I like it. Wow. Hmm. 
Who was that person you just described? I'm not quite sure. Um, I know. And you know what? She's a great mom and grandma, too, I will say. I love it. All right, Julie, what can you tell us about Karen? Well, um, Karen is a very funny person. So my introduction is a little bit, you know, not as serious. Um, But Karen has many identities. Oh, no. Yeah, she, you might know her as the Little Rosebud. Okay. Or you might know her as the Griggs. Or you might know her as the Queen of Decorum. I think in ALA, she's the Queen of Decorum. That all was started (laughs) by Steve Winger many years ago. Because um, Karen always wants us to practice decorum, but she doesn't always take her own advice. But anyway, (laughs) so we try to mind our manners around Karen quite a bit. But interestingly enough, one of the words I wrote down to describe Karen is resilient. And she actually used that word to describe me. So um, she really has played a lot of roles in ALA, obviously. Everyone knows who the Griggs is. Um, She makes the best of every situation. So again, if faced with some kind of challenge, you never see her frown or get upset. She just figures out the positive and... We all just go with it. We roll with it, right? Um, But she's also, she can be an actor as well. She has played out the role of a law librarian um, for the ALA, American Library Association. We did do that one conference. Um, She also, I think, played Cleopatra alongside John McCulloch, who played God, I think. So she botched her lines at CLI, and I think she said something like the Christians ate the Jews or something like that. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so that was a big, hmm. Okay, now but, somebody needs to define decorum for me yeah, because and, I feel and, like yes. and so <laughs> the definition I have. That, <laughs> we somehow, she still became ALA president. So, you know, there you go. Um, um, one of the things about Karen in her spare time, she likes to climb. And that's literally and figuratively. So she might climb if there are any ladders or trees or steps. She's definitely, no, I'm like serious. She climbs things like she does. She seriously climbs them. Um, Like I think we were in the ice bar in Las Vegas during one of the conferences and she was climbing wearing a fur coat. Um, But she also (laughs) climbs figuratively. So she's elevated her way to the top of her career. She's worked for her firm, I think, 39, 40 years grew the firm from a card table, I think, to uh, wow. a massive build out. So Karen's done a lot of things. So, um, but really, seriously, last but not least, she is, she has a ton of experience. She's, again, the queen of decorum, professionalism. She's been my personal mentor since 1998. And she's just a role model to, and, and the example of professionalism to a lot of people, not just in ALA, but overall. So I would like to introduce you to the queen of decorum, Karen Griggs. Okay. So I'm going to need you to go into that a little bit more, but I have one other thing I've heard about you, Karen, and Ooh. that is you live on a family compound. Oh, the family compound. How did I forget that? <laughs> I need to hear more about this before we get into the topics here. Well, um, that's a that's an interesting story, and I really had no idea this was going to be like this, but okay. It's, <laughs> it feels like a roast. Just roll with it. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so um, I have two grown children, and I have two grandchildren, 
And for any number of wonderful reasons, we all live together and we call it the compound. Uh, and it's, it's just awesome. In one Under giant the same house. Roof? Yeah. In the same house. The, um, one family lives on one level. It's not that big a house, but it's big enough. One family lives on one house or one level and somebody else lives on another level. And my husband and I, we call it, we live in the basement. But <laughs> Has TLC done a show about you yet? <laughs> we talk about it all the time that we really probably could do our own reality TV show because clearly there's a lot of things come up. But honestly, I, um, you know, when the economy tanked more than once and my son and daughter-in-law were in a situation, one would get laid off and get a job, but then the other one would get laid off. And this went on for two years. And when you're, you know, getting a job but getting laid off, your income clearly gets gets uh, jeopardized. So uh, it was supposed to be a three-month thing. And I thought, oh, there's no way they'll be here three months. There's just no way. I mean, they've been living on their own and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. And uh, that was... Um, October of 2010. That's how long we've had a compound about. I was also told not to call it a compound because that sounds very cult-like, but I said, well, then that's exactly what I'm going to call it. Don't tell me what to do. So, Julie, I want to shift over a little bit and start asking some of the questions. So, you started in HR at a large law firm. Why did you choose HR? Because I, I'm nuts and I love to be tortured. No, uh, <laughs> you know, I would I, agree then. <laughs> I understand. Um, you know, I did major in psychology and sociology back, you know, many, many years ago. And I thought I could change the world and change people. But then I learned that you really can't change people. You just can give them the tools that they need. So I really liked working with people overall. Um, the pieces of HR that aren't so fun to me are like the benefits administration and that kind of stuff. So I've eventually throughout my career ended up in a position where I get to work mainly with all the people and I don't have to do all the other HR pieces that aren't as much fun and are more paperwork. Um, but I would just say, I just knew I was destined to work with people somehow. So here I am. That's funny because that's the exact opposite of the way I like to do HR. Like I would rather get knees deep, elbows deep into a benefit enrollment package. Oh so. my. Mm. But it takes all terrible. types, right? It does. It does. That's why we all fit together. Mm-hmm. How is your, you know, since you've, since you've been in HR so long, what, what do you... I guess, how has your perspective changed over time? You know, you mentioned going in, thinking about changing people. Yeah. What has changed over the years just as people, you know, younger people come in and, and you've mm-hmm. been in the field longer? Yeah. And I've always done legal. Like I, I think for like one year I went into a CPA firm. So I have been in legal my entire career. I have seen a lot of changes, a lot, um, you know, from equipment, like no more typewriters. In fact, one of our <laughs> assistants the other day asked what a typewriter is. I thought that was hilarious. Um, but you know, the, the from everything from like office equipment. Oh, we're feeling old right now. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Or I am maybe speak for myself here. Right. 
um, automation, ratios, those are all the things. Um, really support staff, the way we've set up our models now are less relationship-based and are more uh, task-based, I guess, or process-based, I would say. So um, I, even dress code, like now it's like, just dress for the day, just wear what you want to wear to work that day, as long as it's not sweatpants or has holes in it. Um, <laughs> I remember the days when we had to wear pantyhose. And in fact, one a partner one time <laughs> made a comment about my pantyhose because they had black dots on them. And I was like, ooh, these are cool. I'm like dressing up a little bit. You know, I'm trying to spice it up a little bit. And he was like, ooh, like, do you know you have dots on your pantyhose? So, <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was a big firm thing, thing right? Yeah. A lot of the law firms, you were required to wear pantyhose every yes. day. Every day. Kill every day. me now. Absolutely. And you couldn't wear pants? You couldn't just wear pants? Uh, we could. We could, but mo you just didn't. You basically mm. wore dresses. And if and you stuff. did, you still had to wear knee-high pantyhose. You couldn't have like open-toed shoes. You That's couldn't have true. your feet showing. Rob, you would have died. You could never wear your short shorts to work. Uh, I don't wear short shorts to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's I save those for the weekends. <laughs> oh my gosh. That that's actually in and of itself a crazy change that I don't think people who have worked in legal like Rob did you even know that that used to be a rule? I I don't know a lot of things. Well, that's So true. absolutely I did not. <laughs> Julie, you you spoke about you just touched on the ratio a little bit. Um and how that's changed. Can you can you speak more to that? Sure. So, um, and Karen could probably, <laughs> she probably knows this as well. Back in the day, again, you would have one assistant working for one attorney and then it kind of grew to two to one. And then for a long time, the ratios mm -hmm. were three to one. So you'd maybe work for a partner and two associates or three associates. And that, those were the ratios for a long time. But then with automation and tools that we can implement team structures, people are supporting Teams of LAAs are supporting teams of attorneys. So it, the ratios are not as important anymore. In fact, I don't even really hear that word a whole lot anymore, other than every now and then we'll say, like on the community, what's everyone's ratios these days for the most part. Um, I would say it's probably grown to like a five or six to one. And in some firms, they're able to do nine and 10 to one. Oh my gosh. Models are set up. <laughs> And it depends on practice area too, of course. I know a lot of firms who are one to two. So um, that mm. it's interesting about three to one because I, you're right about practice areas and about automation because I there are still firms that while we'd like to think they're going three to one, four to one or whatever, there are still many firms that are two to one or one to one. And it's, it's hard to think about how that makes sense, but mm -hmm. um, can it's I geek out for a minute and ask what kind of automation has uh, helped change those ratios? Computers. Just computers? Come on. Let's do Copy something more interesting machines. than that. Computers. Yeah. Oh. Copy machines. Right. I guess we won't Scanning. geek out then. Scanning. Um, I know. Rob, I know what you're, I know what you're uh, trying to get us to say, but it's not yeah. going to happen. So. Oh. Yes. Okay, some technology automation. Yeah, technology, time, I mean, obviously time entry, and then policies too. So like firms now, not all firms, some firms require their associates to enter their own time. So that's less work that the LAA has to do. Um, big hand is kind of a big one right now that 
is a workflow process, but there are other systems out there as well. You know, and in fact, um, with office services, with it being outsourced, you know, they have their own technology too that they utilize for all of their workflow. And I know that some companies, some facilities management companies also expand that to the firms they work with for LAA delegation tasks and things like that. So there's just so much out there. I can't even, can't even begin. Can I jump in for our listeners real quick? LAA stands for legal administrative assistant. Correct. Which some firms still call. It's the same title for legal secretaries, legal assistants. It's like at our firm, we have an LAA, but that is actually an assistant to an LA, right? So sometimes even firms use, because it's a, they do the administrative task, whereas a legal assistant does legal related work. And then the LAA does copies, scans, faxes, that sort of thing. Oh, Um, <laughs> so, like for my purposes, LAAs are what we used to call legal secretaries. Okay, okay. And then we have ASAs, which are like the assistants to the to the teams to help to them the do teams. the scanning and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, Karen, what about you? How have you seen, uh, especially automation, take control, and some of the things you've seen change with regards to secretarial or legal administrative support over the years? I mean, first of all, I find it refreshing that you guys can remember what typewriters are because I thought I might be the only one who would know that. But um, there's been really a lot of different things, and it is all technology-related that that's changed things dramatically. Things like legal research. You know, we remember when the conference rooms were in the libraries, mm-hmm. and the firms don't even have law libraries, and was full of books, and all these people going through books, doing the research, and now it's automated, and they can do search and come up with what they need so much faster. So it's not just like an LAA's work product that is so much faster, but even the attorneys, and then just a generational thing of these younger attorneys who now are, you know, 30, 40, 50s, but they grew up with the computers. Uh, I remember when the only people who had computers were the legal secretaries who now are called LAAs, and nobody had a computer, and those were really just word processors. So so the evolution of, of everybody having access to technology really changed that particular dynamic. Um, I mean, I can remember however many years ago it would be a lot and just watching that fax machine i thought that was the most amazing thing ever like okay i put my paper in here and now somebody 100 miles away is receiving it how does that work but you know technology and software and applications has just changed everything and it's also created i think some additional stressors because clients know things can be done faster so they expect it faster I really think that technology for all the good it's done has put more stress on our attorneys and our legal teams. I think that's the, the all-on concept, right? So the the access of clients to their attorneys, right? Like that used to be you'd write a letter to your attorney, Rob, and you'd put in the mail and put a little stamp on it. And then your attorney would write you back in three or four days or a week or however long it took. But now they want to text you. And and obviously, Rob, you know that, but um, they want to text and get an answer right away. And that's (laughs) lawyers are very used to being able to say, I'll get back to you on that. I mean, that's what we teach them, right? Don't you don't have to have all the answers. Um, Amanda, I was going to make a little joke. Like, what about the lawyer's access, the attorney's access to the administrators? (laughs) You're always on as well. (laughs) <laughs> you're just gonna laugh that one off 
I so, had a Palm Pilot, okay? I, I did palm, too. Did you? Yes. I had a little Palm Pilot. Really? I would like type out. Thought it was the, the coolest little... thing. Yes, absolutely. I was the fastest at, at a a a a b b b b texting, but yeah. <laughs> and a BlackBerry, of course, I carried a BlackBerry. Long I mean, I bet you were great long. at the Snake game on your Nokia as well. I was so amazing on the Snake game on my Nokia. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Karen, you've been at your firm, I believe, thirty-eight years. 39. So, you know, you don't see that as much these days. People jump around all the time. What's kept you there? I'm just nuts. No. Uh, <laughs> you know what? It's, it's a great place to work. And I was fortunate enough. My firm turns 40 years old this year. Uh, you know, as typical with a lot of new firms, you know, a group, very small group of attorneys leaves the big firm to start their own firm. And so they did that 40 years ago, and I happened on, you know, within six months, and they literally had a card table and typewriters. And Tom Baker, who was the founder of our firm, and this is just going to sound so corny, but it's very, very true. I walk into this office, there's no wallpaper, no carpet, it's very (laughs) bare bones, and I'm like, oh my God, before anybody sees me, maybe I should just ditch this and get out of here. (laughs) And Tom Baker um, was I just one. He was just an amazing, amazing trial lawyer. But, you know, he's describing his vision for this firm and what he wanted to do and how exciting it would be. And he just like, he just caught me up in it. Um, and as cheesy as it sounds, and it really was before um, the Top Gun movie, or what was the movie? No. Uh, what was the movie with Renee Zellweger? It doesn't matter. Jerry Maguire? I could just start naming all the Renee Zellweger movies. Bridget Jones's Diary. <laughs> you had me at hello. You had me hello. at hello. You had me at hello. They stole my line um, when I met with Tom Baker. But but that's the main reason. And then the really cool part about it, that, that to answer your question why I've stayed here so long, is I've been just a big part of the development of this firm. Um, you know, all the artwork I've bought, all the furniture I've bought, good, bad, and different, whether we like it or not. You know, you're part of everything that's happened in this firm, the hires, you know, the clients, the moves, the build out. Um, they offered me some great opportunities. Um, I've worked my fanny off, mm-hmm. uh, but that's that's why I stayed here. It's just been a great place to work. And they've allowed me to just develop and grow my own position because they would have never thought of this, frankly. So how has that changed over time, your position? I mean, I feel like, you know, I've been with my with Centerbase for eight years, and I feel like every few years, you almost have to reinvent yourself. How has it changed over time as the company's grown? Well, that's true. I mean, many, many years ago, um, an, an a law office, you know, unlike, say, a big corporation, it was more, you know, partnership, uh, low-key office management type stuff. A lot of the lawyers did the things that we do now mm-hmm. in a small firm. You know, we talked about, you know, benefits that Julie doesn't like, but Amanda apparently does. I, mean, <laughs> I didn't say I liked them. I said I would prefer them to the others. <laughs> there is a distinction. But, you know, lawyers used to, you know, do your, your uh, building leases and work with brokers and bankers and, insurance reps and all this kind of stuff and I have a I have a a bumper sticker right behind me and it says I do all this so you don't have to oh I love it and so I think like way back then 40 years ago 
there weren't high-level executive positions yet this well-defined for, you know, people that worked in small firms. So over time, these these positions have been elevated. I mean, we're more skilled, um, maybe have more education behind us. We have ALA, which makes a big, big difference in our growth and development, I think, and our leadership. I mean, before there were no no leaders in firms that weren't, say, managing partners or whatever. So it's just cool that not just my firm, but any firm over time has evolved into a business. Right. You know, if they didn't used to operate like businesses. So that's that's uh, how I think things have evolved over time. It's interesting you talk about professional development of your support staff and you as an individual. Julie, I know that that is near and dear to your heart. And so that's a good transition for us because I want to talk about your role now and how you have switched from being in a strictly HR role to what you're doing now. So can you talk a little bit about that for us? Sure. Yeah. And my, and in my position is continually evolving too. Like we're always thinking of new ways of doing things. Oh, we need someone to manage that. Okay. Let me add that to my, to my plate. But the two probably main areas for me um, are talent acquisition and then talent development. That's how I kind of look at my role, but it's a lot more than that. So all the details then that fall under those two categories are of course, bringing in the talent to, to replace the talent. We know we're going to lose with retirements and and other, you know, the way we restructure our firm. So, you know, you look at whatever the goals are for your firm or what the strategic plan is for your firm. And then you have to really base your future um, staff positions based on that. So we may be wanting to expand in one practice area. Well, then we've got to get the people in that group currently educated and give them all of the tools that they need. And then we have to figure out what direction we're going to go and what kind of people that we need to bring in to fill in those gaps. So we've, um, you know, we've run turnover reports, we've run um, assessments, we've looked at demographics because, you know, we need to know, we need like a five-year plan and a 10-year plan. So we're just kind of estimating the people that we think could leave in the next five years. And that's when we need to look at the development piece of it. Um, and figure out how we're going to to fill those gaps. So I, it's really two twofold, more or less. So um, I was doing some of the legal recruiting in the beginning, which was totally new for me because in large firms, legal recruiting is usually separated from right. staff recruiting. So um, I did that for a while. It really wasn't my thing, but we have found that we really had a need for this other workforce planning piece of it. And um, so that's how I kind of shifted into the role I have now. It's probably one of my favorite roles that I've ever had. And I've, I've worked at great firms and made, you know, just made great strides at other firms. But this one is actually like focused on the things that I like to do and that I feel like I'm pretty good at. It's a, it's a, a role that you haven't heard much in law firms, right? But it's mm-hmm. taking a look at something that we do really have a kind of a crisis in. And that is the role of using the letters again, the LAA, the LA, the legal assistant, the legal secretary, because those traditionally have been people who have made that a career, right? Or have come up and and done that from an administrative side. 
And the average age of people in those positions is much older. And so I think when we talked before, your one of your roles is how do I have a pipeline for this position? Where am I going to find the next generation of support staff? And how are we preparing for that? And I guess one of the benefits of being in a big firm is that you can look forward, right? You can think, where am I going to be? Um, Karen, how are you at, you're not at a tiny firm, but how are you at your size firm dealing with that issue? Um, well, you know, we all know no matter what kind of position we're trying to recruit for, how difficult it is. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. I've never in all my years had so much challenge finding people who want to do this, number one, but are skilled enough to do it, number mm -hmm. two. Um, and Julie touched on something when she was talking about looking at turnover rates and planning the future. I mean, our roles, you know, in everything, not just this human resource component, become very metric driven. You know, that's something that five to 10 years ago, nobody talked about metrics. And now everybody's studying all these numbers. But, um, you know, clearly we have an aging workforce. Um, I know that our current um salary survey is based on average age of somebody in your position, which is pretty <laughs> interesting to me. I want to see how this rolls out. But I, so I had to think about what's the average age. Well, fortunately, we've hired a couple really young ones recently right. to balance out the other ones. Um, but it's a challenge. And we certainly have, when we talked about ratios earlier, you know, fewer LAAs working for more attorneys, but that's in large part I mean, besides we talk technology, it's like attorneys can do so much themselves. A lot of themselves self-sufficient. But we're, I'll tell you what, we're hugely challenged to find good people. And um, I love developing people. And frankly, HR is not my cup of tea. I'm the finance person. But I've <laughs> had to do this. Um, and I love finding somebody and recognizing that they have the tool, talent, drive to succeed. And I love to promote them. And everybody who, who all my managers and directors that report to me started out doing something different in my firm. I like and that. All, you know, we've, we've developed them, we've invested in them, but most importantly, they invested um, and put the confidence in themselves to be able to do this. And that's what I love about it, is being able to look at somebody and promote them. Well, that's really how, I mean, kind of selfishly, how we measure our success is when we are able to groom someone, develop them, mentor them into a management position or whatever their goal is, and just being able to develop them all along. And when they succeed, you succeed. Mm -hmm. um, so we have, and I think, you know, I think that's kind of an issue in firms specifically and among ALA in general is just that transfer of knowledge. We have staff members and we have administrators who feel like they if they transfer any knowledge that that they have or if they start mentoring people or sharing their workload then they're giving up a piece of their own work and then they're giving up value for themselves and so i really think that's a lot of what the message we need to be giving is that no you are actually more valuable by helping us build this next generation of talent um, rather than feeling like, oh, you know, I'm less valuable to the firm if I give up any of my work. And so we <laughs> just have to change that mindset. You know, it's people need to think more in, in terms of teams and um, just mentoring the next generation instead of, you know, I'm just going to retire. And then all of that institutional knowledge is gone 
Um, so we're really struggling with that. And I really think AL, I think firms in ALA struggle, struggle with that quite a bit too. And chapters, sure. I think chapters struggle with that too. Oh, sure. I think companies in general, I mean, yeah. the best leaders are the ones that can put their ego aside and say, Hey, I want, I want to bring somebody in that's better than me, or I want to so train somebody So you're essentially a terrible leader, leader is what you're saying? <laughs> hey, I just did a pulse check with my team and I did okay. Oh, you did? So I did okay. It's, I assure okay. you it's not anonymous. Plenty of room right? to grow, but thanks, Amanda. Um, <laughs> hey, so Julie, you, uh, you mentioned you have one of the worst termination stories. Oh. You ha- <laughs> Would you be willing to share that with us? I mean, it's not, it's not the worst. I'm sure people have worse. I mean, I've had so Amanda exaggerated termination stories, but I mean, I've, I had a sad one when someone literally got on their hands and knees and begged me not to fire them. Oh. That was so oh heart wrenching. I'm like, well, that's really kind of when I used to have a heart, but I've hardened since then. <laughs> um, but I did have a termination and we had to terminate an assistant who, and this was at a couple of firms ago who was married to a minister. So no, actually she was a minister too. She was a minister too. And he, she was married to a minister. And on the weekends they had a lot of church obligations and she was, you know, portrayed herself to be um, a very upstanding person, but she just wasn't cut out to be a legal secretary at the time. Mm. So I did have to terminate her. And let me tell you, she dropped every F bomb known to me. (laughs) And we ended up having to call security to get her out of the building. So, wow. yeah, that was that was interesting. I don't know if that was too an exciting of a termination story, but that's one I can share. Yep. <laughs> Amanda, you really liked that response, didn't you? The, yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's okay. I'm a little jaded. I'm I I feel like I'm too young to be as jaded as I am, but then I remember I'm not young. i am the young i'm the oldest teenager you will ever meet that's what i like to say i'm not like other teenagers i'm in my 40s (laughs) okay so so go you mir go ahead amanda ladies first always um i wanted to ask karen so karen you were ala president and i'd love to hear about your journey why you chose to do that what you got out of it? Would you do it again? Like, what can you tell us about that? Well, how much time do we have left? <laughs> you know, it. One one of the things I am not is a goal setter. I mean, and that's tragic for me. But I'm just not. I just usually go with the flow and take advantage of opportunities as they come my way. So it's never like my plan to be a, a president of anything. I mean, except my own tree house. But anyway. <laughs> Your compound. Uh, <laughs> compound. The cult. But anyway, so, I mean, you know, you start out just like so many people do. You start at that chapter level. And, um, you know, we talked about recognizing um, people in our own workforce. Well, you know, ALA does the same thing. We know we're all seeking out the next good person to serve on a committee or whatever. So I was uh, president of our chapter. Absolutely loved it. Um, and then, you know, you're going to, to regional conferences and you're in these regional, they used to have them, you know, each region three would meet and the chapter presidents are represented there and they, and ALA is very good at identifying people like, hmm, I think you would be good at this. And they just suck 
you in, right? Sucking and, you and, in. And Amanda, you've been there, and Julie, you've been there. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's just the, the path I took. I've got to tell you, I mean, I you know, was very honored to serve, very thankful to serve ALA in a lot of different levels. Um, my most fun or rewarding role, and, and I think probably a whole bunch of ALA presidents may not appreciate this, but was on my regional team. Yeah. I mean, we had the regional teams that was so cool because especially if you like to do a lot of different things, but, you know, we planned the regional conferences and that was everything, the education, the site, we got to help pick the site and we got to pick the network events and all of that kind of stuff, um, the themes. And as Julie knows me well, I'm totally into themes and are so disappointed that we couldn't get that Ferris wheel on top of the Chase Hotel in St. Louis. Like we were still <laughs> pouting about that. Still pouting about that. Still pouting about it. But, um, you know, that's an opportunity to really just grow and develop all your different skills and all the things you would like to do, maybe even at work and you can't. There's just an avenue to just make things big. And I always like, okay, this is an event, but let's make it an experience. And that's always what I wanted to do. Um, no matter what you're doing, okay, yeah, it's an event, but turn it into something more. Um, as president, um, you know, I always worked with great people on my regional teams and on the board of directors. I served for six years. It's just everybody's great. Not everybody's on the same page. You know, you got to disagree and all this. So you go through all of those things, and that's fine, and that's part of it. I worked with three different executive directors when I was on the board. Um, so those were interesting and fun times, right? Uh, but just learning so many different perspectives and leadership styles from them. So I feel very fortunate. It was a, it was a long journey, but very, very thankful for it. Would you do it again? <laughs> that was a, just for our listeners, that was a long pause <laughs> purposefully. <laughs> yeah. No, not in, not in my, my lifetime, but it, yeah, would I do I is that the same? Do you have any regrets? Absolutely not. Is it hard? You guys know it's hard, you know, that the time away from your job and the time away from your family. I mean, it is a huge commitment, but you know, as and it's so try everybody says, Well, I get more out than I put in. Well, that may not be true when you're working that hard, but absolutely the connections that you have and what I learned and how I could help my own firm grow and develop because of my own development in ALA. It's priceless. Seriously, it's priceless. That's awesome. All right. We are at our final segment and we call this segment Pitch Your Passion. And since Karen, you went first to introduce Julie, I'm going to let Julie go first to pitch her passion. I have a lot of things I'm passionate about, but donuts would be probably the main thing. Donuts? Oh, Oh my God, I love a donut. (laughs) So I really want to develop donuts that are, okay, and I really want them to be alcohol-infused donuts. I'm just not going to kid you. So when I retire, that's what I want to do. I'm going to have a donut truck. Oh, my God. And I've actually already talked to an IP attorney about the name of it, which I'm not going to share with you because... I don't want anyone to steal my idea. Um, and I want to drive along the beach and take donut orders. And I have all kinds of plans for that. As long as you don't call it like boozy nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, close, but not quite. Okay. All not right. Not. All right. 
but yeah, that that's, I mean, that's my fun passion, but my real passion really is, uh, uh, social justice, uh-huh. particularly as it relates to mass incarceration. So I'm kind of big into the Midwest Innocence Project. And then I introduced my chapter to a Witnessing Whiteness Program, which is a workshop series. And we did that for 10 weeks. And it re- it's designed to teach white people to talk about racism mm-hmm. and try to try to respond to that in a in a, in a very important way. So I, I try to share that with other chapters when I can, like you really need to look into the, your YMCA's witnessing whiteness program because it's, it's very beneficial and it's, you know, we've kind of taken it to the next level in our chapter. So that's, that's my real passion, but donuts, I also enjoy very much. Well, so I one of these it. days look for my donut truck. I'm going to <laughs> Karen. All right. Your turn. Tell us about your passion. You know, I'm a passionate person and I, I'm not sure I have a lot of passions. One of my passions, though, is the servant leadership model. Um, once I understood it and figured it out and realized I'm doing a lot of those things myself, um, but especially during COVID, it was so important. And my my managing partner and I were talking about COVID and how to manage it, whether it's sick people or sick families or working remotely and all those challenges that every business went through. I said, you know, this is where servant leadership really comes in. And we'd never talked about before. And he goes, he goes, you know about servant leadership? I go, well, yes. I try to practice servant leadership because I just wrote a chapter in a book on servant leadership. And we didn't, we didn't know it. So that was pretty cool. That's one of my passions is talking about servant leadership, teaching other people about servant leadership. I've, I've, uh, I'm going to say I've traveled all over the country. I've, I've put on several presentations in the United States and Canada and that, truly is a passion of mine because it's just a great business model. Um, and then Julie already mentioned it early that, you know, I like to climb. Well, I'm a tree climber. Um, I like, I, I have climbed trees in almost all of the 50 states. Not quite. I have four to go. Um, Wait, that's a real thing. It's a real thing. No, it's not. When I was a little kid, we had this great big tree in our, in our side yard and I climbed it all the time. And, uh, it just was a, a safe little place. I'm not sure why I did it, um, but I would just go climb the tree. I would take my Nancy Drew books there and read my Nancy Drew books in my tree. And I just love to do it. And then I studied like, okay, because people like, what? So I'm guessing that not a lot of people climb trees. So I thought, okay, what's unique about a tree climber? And they say, well, you know, you you have to be strong. You have to you have to be somewhat fearless because you could fall out. So you have to kind of know what you're doing, but it takes a lot of focus, it takes a lot of concentration, and you just learn like, I can do this, I can do anything. But I'll tell you one thing, once you're in the tree, you really are, okay, you're away from your responsibilities, you're away from all of your worries, and it just feels like for those few minutes, or however long you decide to stay, if you read a whole Nancy Drew book, is you know, you feel like you're in a different world because you're elevated and it just feels like you're someplace else. So if you ever need to get away, just climb a tree. Well, Karen and Julie, thank you so much for joining us today. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I had a great time too. Thanks for giving me the break to do this. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Most Illegal Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can also check us out online on MostlyLegalPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list, get weekly recaps, and get some of your very own Mostly Legal swag.